0: I wanna wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. I hope you, to you uh, are blessed to be surrounded by people who love you and you get to love. And uh, as I think about Valentine's Day, I'm, I go back to when Ann and I were married. Uh, we were in college still. And so we, we celebrated uh, the wedding in December in Central Iowa and then we went back to school. So we didn't get a real honeymoon. We would take a vacation about a year and a half later, and that was kind of our honeymoon, and we went to Jamaica. And while we were there, one of the adventures that I got to participate in was parasailing. I'd never done that before. And we went went on this beach excursion with several couples from our hotel. And while we were there, one of the guys came up to me, and he asked me if I wanted to go parasailing. Apparently, he had paid for he and his wife to both go, but at the last minute, she got afraid and chickened out. And so he invited me to go, and I said, sure. And before I knew it, I was standing on the beach getting my five-minute training on how to take off and how to land while parasailing. The guys driving the boat in Jamaica, as you can imagine, were pretty laid-back guys. And this parachute that I was using It looked like it had been taking people into the wild blue yonder for decades. But it didn't stop me. I took off anyway, and the experience was awesome. It was awesome until time came to land. Now, my training taught me that while you're parasailing, if you're ready to land, you pull on the one side of the parachute in which you want to descend. And so you pull on the right side, you'll start descending towards your right. And the guys on the boat were giving me direction and so I started to descend. And while I was descending, all of a sudden, a couple of the parachute cords snapped. Well, I let go and started to gain altitude again and the guys on the boat were yelling, pull, man, pull. And I was yelling, no, the parachute is breaking. Well, all of a sudden, my heart started racing and I could feel the anxiety building. I was trying to block out of my mind all the ways that I could die that day. I would eventually land on the beach. Not a very good landing. But I was never so happy to be on the ground again. And I felt all of that anxiety kind of float away. Have you ever been anxious? I mean, you felt it in your heart or in your stomach. Most of us have probably felt that before. Have you ever been consumed by anxiety? It paralyzed you to the point that you struggled to accomplish even the most basic of functions. If you've been down this path, you will empathize with those who are battling anxiety today. But if you've never had to deal with anxiety I wanna encourage you to take a minute and just thank God that you've never felt that before. And then I wanna encourage you to listen up so that you'll be more understanding when someone you love is drowning in anxiety. The potential to fear something in the future is one of the primary causes of worry. And when we worry, And it plays over and over, enough times in our mind, it can build to what we would often refer to as anxiety. Let me give you a couple of examples. A businessman wakes up in the middle of the night. He can't sleep. Three weeks earlier, he lost the company's biggest account, and now he's stressing over how he's going to make payroll and if he'll be able to pay off his creditors. A working mom loses her job, and now she is overwhelmed. How is she going to manage? She's stressing about the possibility of losing everything. She's so stressed over it that she's exhausted, and yet, as tired as she is, she hasn't slept for a week. It's a vicious cycle. A young woman goes for a routine mammogram, they find a spot and they tell her she has to come back in a week for an ultrasound. Over the next week, all she thinks about is dying from cancer. She tries to, tries to drop that thought out of her mind, but the thought played over and over like it was on a loop, playing the same thing over and over in her mind. Dr. Frank Minerth is a Christian doctor who was internationally known as a psychiatrist and an author, and he defines anxiety as this. A common emotional state that is characterized by feelings of apprehension, uneasiness, worry, and concern. An unpleasant anticipation of some unknown misfortune, danger, or doom. The feeling that something must be done but not knowing what. An experience that affects everyone to some degree, but renders some people non-functional. As Dr. Minerth says, anxiety affects everyone at one time or another, but for some, it can be nearly unbearable. It can cause a person to spiral down to where they think, I don't think I want to live if I have to go on feeling like this? You might even hear someone who's suffering from anxiety say that out loud. Now, they may say it as matter-of-factly or even dramatically, but they all feel the same way. If anxiety is going to rule their lives, then their lives don't seem worth living. It's possible that some of you are watching me right now You've even said that because you felt that struggle. In fact, you may even be struggling with anxiety today. What is it about anxiety that's so horrible that otherwise high-functioning people are desperate to escape it? The sensations of doom or panic felt by sufferers are truly overwhelming. The very same sensations, in fact, that a person would feel if the worst really were happening. They're going through the emotions of if it actually happened, and yet it hasn't yet. How does a person deal with anxiety? How do we put it down? How do we eliminate it? Well, I think it starts with a plan to pursue peace. The Bible has some insights that can help us pursue this piece. Paul wrote to the Philippian church about a problem that was causing the congregation, many in the congregation, to suffer anxiety. The situation was creating disharmony in the church and causing anxiety for some of the members. Paul writes about this in Philippians, the fourth chapter, starting with verses two through seven. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians 4, or if you're using your smartphone or tablet, Philippians 4, starting with chapter two. In fact, this situation that Paul brings up in chapter four is one of the primary reasons Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. He wants to address this problem. He actually names two individuals who seemed to be at the heart of the conflict. But the problem is probably much wider than just two people. So Paul addresses the issue. And as we unpack it this morning, we will discover that the problem of division in the church was not only disrupting the function of the church, but it was also causing anxiety among many of its believers. So we read, in verses two and three. I plead with you, Eodia, and I plead with you, Syntiki, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Imagine the reaction that these two women had when this letter was read, Iodia and Sintiki, who were most likely present when it was read publicly to the church. I can only imagine what they experienced when they heard their names connected to this problem. This is the first time the letter is this specific. You see, in previous chapters, Paul was laying the groundwork so that he could directly address the individuals in this particular incident having to do with this disagreement, this disunity. It it would suggest that as Paul gives us these names, and from the wording that we read there in verse 3, that these women who have contended at Paul's side in the cause of the gospel, that these two women had significant influence in that church. They were key leaders. And when key leaders have public disagreement, it can cause others to suffer emotional distress. A healthy church is an effective church. On the converse, an unhealthy church is an ineffective church. If this church battle continues to go on long enough, some of the members of this body are gonna begin to drop off. And it can become too discouraging and stressful. So Paul speaks to the problem, and then he gives a solution. Paul calls on several in the church to help with this issue. We assume he's asking them to intervene, to work out this problem with these two key leaders and help to restore the unity. Iodia and Syntyche had previously been Paul's allies in advancing the gospel. Now it's likely their dispute was actually reducing the church's impact at advancing the kingdom of God. So Paul gives them a game plan to reconcile and to heal. He starts in verse 4 and 5. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Paul's been talking about joy throughout the entire book of Philippians. Most likely he saw joy as a key to resolving the split or healing this fracture in the church. And thus he brings the idea up frequently. But now here in verse four, he says, chapter four, he says, rejoice in the Lord Always. It's important to note that our relationship with God gives us both a reason and power to rejoice. The reason is he saved us. We are bound for heaven as opposed to where we were headed before, bound for hell. And the power is this omnipotent God, all-powerful God, is always at our side. Both of those, both of those, Reason and power give us a reason to rejoice. It is possible that many in the Philippian church hadn't rejoiced much since this disagreement began. Dissension can easily steal your joy unless you intentionally choose to rejoice in the Lord. Also, Paul's instruction is that your actions should be gentle and it and let everyone see that gentleness. Gentleness refers to a gracious and reasonable spirit, being considerate of others, letting others know that you are for them. You may have disagreements, but you don't have to be disagreeable. You can find ways to work out the differences. Showing gentleness is a welcome mat to the opportunity to repair the breach in any relationship. Specifically, gentleness abandons insisting on getting one's own way in order that it might benefit others. This past week, I talked with a friend whose wife had a very, very serious condition. She had brain surgery last year to remove a tumor As you can imagine, it was a scary time for his wife, but it was a scary time for the whole family. After surgery, his wife went through several bouts of severe anxiety. I asked him what he had learned during this time his wife was dealing with anxiety, and he simply answered with one word, gentleness, gentleness, You see, the connection between gentleness and resolving the conflict in the church is obvious. A gentle person is even willing to endure unpleasant treatment if it's justified, if it will help. Gentleness is also essential when walking with those suffering from anxiety. You see, gentleness is not a spineless attitude that shows a lack of courage, rather, It's a response of strength inspired by one's relationship with Jesus. Here's an example of what I'm talking about, how Jesus responded in a gentle manner. Isaiah 53, 7 talks about Jesus. He says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. When we understand what Jesus did for us and the manner that he did it, then we will realize that a gentle person will always be willing to endure unpleasant treatment if it's going to help the situation. Well, Paul goes on, verse six, and I think this is a key verse for us as we talk about this Problem of anxiety. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul uses here a specific word for the words to be anxious. And it comes from the root word meaning to be pulled apart. So when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, what he's saying to the Philippians is, don't get so wrapped up in this discord or anything else to such a degree that the stress of those situations begin to pull you apart. Anxiety does that. It doesn't help the situation. In fact, it might make it worse. Anxiety can produce irritability and defensiveness. It's the soil in which discord and disagreement can grow. Matters that might otherwise have been less of important can grow into proportions that feed into our anxiety. Anxiety isn't specifically addressed anywhere else in this letter except verse 6. So it seems to be a consequence of the ongoing conflict in the Philippian church. Paul actually gave those suffering from anxiety a way to stop. Stop the never-ending loop that was playing in their mind. He specified prayer as the solution. He said, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Here's what I think Paul's idea is. He's suggesting that we let God's power address man's concern. Let God's power address man's concern. If divine power could not broker a resolution, then no resolution would be possible. And that, my friends, would be a cause for us to actually be filled with anxiety. Prayer encompasses all facets of life. So Paul says to pray specifically, and he says to pray with thanksgiving. The reason is, That heart of thanksgiving recognizes God's blessings and his control in our circumstances. Anxiety tends to cause a person to forget God and to turn away from him, relying on human resources alone. So both prayer and thankful recognition of God's love and his goodness are powerful. And combined together, they're very effective at taking steps to eliminate anxiety. Well, Paul continues with the result of this prayer that is offered with thanksgiving. Verse seven says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For a troubled church, peace would have been a divine blessing. For an individual it's a powerful personal blessing if peace is lacking the desire and the hope that peace could take up residence in our inner being that would be a huge gift even if specific prayers are not answered the way that we had hoped god still guards over the believer he watches over his disciples The image Paul uses here is of a soldier standing guard, which would have been particularly relevant in Philippi, a city that at the time of this writing was guarded by a Roman garrison. God stands guard over our hearts and our minds. This would give comfort to a person who was worried because of all the infighting in that church or for anyone who was drowning in anxiety For any reason. Then Paul gives us a defining aspect of this peace. that is so necessary. It's a peace, he says, that transcends all understanding. Paul recognized how divine realities soar far beyond, far above, even the most exalted of human understanding. Even the smartest people on the planet cannot explain the inner peace that God gives. God's peace goes far beyond our comprehension. Far beyond. But remember, you don't have to understand God's peace in order to experience it. Paul wanted to end the power struggle in that church. He wanted to heal the wounds and set the anxious believers free. Today, how does a person actually find freedom from anxiety? Some will resort to self-medicating, try to escape the overwhelming feelings, but this doesn't actually deal with the real issues. Instead, it just masks them. There is a better way. Let me review Paul's plan to eliminate infighting because these steps will not only help heal a fractured church or broken relationships, but they can also heal an anxious heart. Paul's plan to pursue peace, first of all, is rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, it's live a life of gentleness. Thirdly, pray with thanksgiving. And then fourthly, trust the peace of God to protect your heart and mind. Paul addresses the spiritual side, which is very practical. But overcoming anxiety can seem impossible, yet there are some very simple things that you can do to address your mental health. In his book, In Pursuit of Happiness, choices that can change your life. Dr. Frank Minirth gives six self-care actions to help mitigate anxiety. And they are very simple things that anyone can do. The first is this. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Hey, you're going to expect me, I'm a company guy, I love the kingdom of God, that I'm going to promote the one bestseller that God has. It's a bestseller of all time, and we should read it. Personally, I often turn in Scripture as I have most of my life in order to find soothing words, whether they come from an old Bible like this one or they come from the YouVersion app on my phone. In either case, I find the words of God to speak directly to the soul and to my mind. Let me give you a couple recommended verses that have that speak to me. The first is 1 Peter 5.7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Write these down. 1 Peter 5:7. I'll tell you why in just a moment. John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Psalm 56, three, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And Psalm 34, four, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I have often read the words of key verses over and over when I'm dealing with anxiety. And I know it might sound hard to believe, but there are seasons in my life where this has been a reality, something I had to, I had to address. I would encourage you to talk with God about the messages that you find in these verses. The truths found in scripture They have power to calm your soul. Keep a list of these passages nearby. Maybe store them on your phone or write them down on a card that you keep in your wallet or your pocket or maybe your purse. Several years ago when I was struggling with anxiety and depression, I would carry a piece of paper around with two key verses written on it. I had them in my left pocket. And I would periodically pull those verses out and read over them, reflect on them. And there were times when I would feel the anxiety beginning to build up in my heart, in my mind. And I wasn't a place where I could pull that, that paper out and reflect on those passages, but I would often reach my hand into my pocket and I could feel that paper and it would remind me of those two verses. The promises written on that paper time and again lifted my spirits and helped me to overcome my sadness and my anxiety. You may want to memorize those verses. One of the verses that spoke to me time and again was 1 John 4:4. 4, 4, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Take time to pray those verses and the messages. Back to God. Allow them to calm your mind and encourage your soul. The word of God strengthens us. Listen to 1 John 2, verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So read the Bible and take time to reflect on it and pray through it. The second thing Dr. Minerth recommended is listen to comforting music. You know, there are old songs that you learned in your youth, and for me, those songs were songs I sung around a campfire at church camp, or songs that were gospel songs on a few of the albums that my parents owned, or they were songs that I sang while driving back to college after, in the wee hours of the morning, singing just to keep awake. The memories are still there. The words are still in my mind. And the same good feelings that I had many years ago return when I hear those songs again. I encourage you to listen to the music and allow it to bless you, to uplift you. Let the words and the melodies soothe any anxious feelings that you may have. I've heard that Music can calm the savage beast. I think sometimes the soothing words of a song set to the right music does have the ability to calm our anxious hearts. Number three, allow for adequate sleep. I think this is really important. Dr. Minerth says that a lot of anxiety will dissipate if we can just get adequate sleep rest. Anxiety keeps an individual awake and sleep deprivation creates even more anxiety. If insomnia is severe enough and these self-care efforts are not effective in getting the adequate amount of sleep, then I want to really encourage you to consult your personal physician. You may need to get some additional medical help to get the sleep you need. Many who struggle with anxiety will identify with the verse Job writes in Job 7, verse 4. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on and I toss and turn until dawn. But we'd rather identify with Proverbs 3, 24. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When you feel anxious, do all you can to get a good night's sleep. Number four, allow for adequate exercise and recreation. When I feel the effects of anxiety coming on, one of the things that I do is I make myself get some exercise. For me, if it's possible, it's really best to go for a run. And that's what I try to do. Exercise releases chemicals in our brains and our bodies that help us to decrease anxiety. Also, doing activities that you enjoy, like attending sporting events, playing golf, going horseback riding, or camping, they can all have a profound effect on reducing one's anxiety. Laughter, like this guy, it has a powerful impact a profound influence in reducing one's level of anxiety. During that season of anxiety and depression in my life, I spent many hours watching reruns of the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond because it was one of the few things that during that season that made me laugh. Number five, live one day at a time. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 34. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Mark Twain once said, my life has been filled with calamities, some of which actually happened. You know, it's important to remind ourselves to follow the advice of Jesus to live just one day at a time. Because like Mark Twain said, it's easy to stress about something that never happens. Oh, we worried about it, but when the day rolled around, it didn't go that way. But we stressed like it did. There seems to be nothing more fictitious than the anxiety and worry that goes on in our heads and now there's a study that actually proves we often worry about things that never come to pass. Researchers at the University of Cincinnati found that 85% of what we worry about never happens. They also found that 79% of the study's participants discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected, or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. So if you factor all of this together, the research found that 97% of what you and I worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. Tomorrow may look bad, but it's likely not as bad as we imagine. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow. God has all of this under control, so don't let tomorrow steal your today through anxiety. And finally, number six, consider medical attention. One thing that's very important to me to make crystal clear to some of you who are watching is to note anxiety may be caused by a significant alteration in brain chemicals, which can often be corrected with the appropriate medical attention and therapy. And I think you need both. So if your efforts at self-care do not reduce your anxiety, it's important to consult your primary care doctor. And also, I want to encourage you to make an appointment to see a qualified Christian counselor. You see, when it comes to mental health issues like anxiety, I've had some experiences with it, but I'm by far and far from being an expert but I learned early in ministry the value of referral. Sometimes we don't do this on our own. We do need the help that comes from those who specialize in helping people with the issue of anxiety. Anxiety is a serious issue that we're seeing more and more people battling. It makes sense. The last 12 months have been brutal. And for many, they survived, they hung in there, they're fighting forward, they're continuing to pursue. And then all of a sudden, they start to find themselves overwhelmed. Life has handed them bad cards to play. And they're doing their best. And they're walking by faith. But then one day they find themselves kind of locking up over the challenges. Remember, God has a purpose for your life. He loves you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the promise that you never leave us or forsake us, that you're with us, you stick closer than a brother. Even to the very end of the age, you're gonna be with us. And we acknowledge, God, that you are in control. You're not just present, but you operate the entire universe. It is that you're under your control. The events of the last 12 months have hit many who are watching this talk, and many of them, it hit very hard. I pray, God, that as you know every situation in the hearts and minds and souls of those who are watching, that God, you will set the anxious hearts free. Give us the courage to do all that we can through the self-care, through times in your word before you, praying, God, with thankful hearts. God, help us to do all we can to be healthy in our soul, in our minds, and in our body. And then we trust you, God, to heal what we're not able. Our best that we give to you is sometimes not enough to overcome anxiety. Sometimes we're beaten down by it, God. Please, I pray, God, you will set the anxious hearts free. I pray in the power of Jesus, you will set the anxious hearts free. In his name, amen.
1: Well, hey, I hope that you have been encouraged by what you've heard today. And it's always our hope that what we're a part of on these mornings and these services will change your life and challenge you to say yes to Jesus and taking your next step in your faith journey. Now, for some of us, that's gonna be our 500th step, okay? And for some of us, it's gonna be our very, very first one, The first time that we're saying yes, to Jesus and if that is you today like yes congratulations like let's do this thing together if you have questions or if, if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus would you just send us a message on social send us a message at notes to money at ncclex.org or actually you can just click the link below in the comment section and that's going to take you over to our website where you can fill out a connect card And lastly, church, listen, we always leave time, this intentional time to worship through gifts of generosity. And when we talk about gifts of generosity, we're talking to our owners here. Those of you who have said yes to Jesus in that next step of your faith walk and so thank you however you give if it's online if it's through the church center app if it's through the mail out front or in one of our lobby stations here like thank you for saying yes thank you for partnering with us as we already talked about as we continue to spread the gospel both locally and globally so again I hope you've been encouraged today. That is all that we have. Be sure to follow us on social so you can stay up to date with upcoming events. And look, we look forward to being with you real soon.